Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. All right, welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. It's Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hello. Andrew, how you doing? Good, good. We got a lot to get to. Mike, we didn't get your thoughts on the NFL draft yet. We'll talk all about that. Um, we got all your questions. We're going to dig back into the mailbag. Uh, we had a lot from this weekend and we got more from this week post draft questions. We'll mailbag is for- bursting at the seams. It really is. So we'll get to those questions from you guys. We'll talk about, um, some big news since we last recorded a podcast. Mike Hughes' fifth year option decline. That's not the big news, but we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, some quarterback stuff as well. Uh, but we got to start with the big news recently. Uh, ben, I just saw this. I know it had to perk your ears up and certainly Vikings followers as well. DK Metcalf is going to run a, the 100 meter trial. Is that right? Yeah, it's what it sounds like. I mean, uh, he, I'm, he'll have a, he'll have a lovely 10 second experience in the prelims of the Olympic trials and that'll be it. He could say he ran one round of it and he probably won't make it to the second round and, and uh, it'll be a nice thing for him to be able to talk about and tell his kids someday. Whoa, Ben, but hold on. DK Metcalf is the lion that chased down the gazelle that was Buda Baker. And the famed highlight we saw last year where Buda Baker, Arizona Cardinals DB, thinks he's taking back a touchdown for or an interception for a touchdown, only to have DK Metcalf chase him down. What are your credentials to say that this guy's not going to be able to out sprint everybody else? Um having coached track for the last nine years. I, I, I don't, I mean, and he was, I will say this, he was a heck of an athlete. He was a heck of a runner, a sprinter in high school. Um, looked at some of his old times and he, he was awfully good, but I remember having this conversation with Adrian Peterson in, uh, in 2014 with the, the night he, his suspension became official. I called him and he's talking about how he'd been so distraught by the whole thing that he wanted to try to, make an Olympic team in it would have been 2016 in the 200 and the 400. Like, and he was a great college sprinter could have probably gone that way, but there is a big difference between being a great college sprinter and being good enough to make it through three rounds in four days at the Olympic trials and being able to, to be on it and be good enough to beat the best sprinters in the world. I mean, there's three guys that go to the Olympics in the hundred meter dash in a country of, 330 million people. It's not easy to do. And a lot of it is, especially in those short sprint events, is about your start. And you have to know how to get out of the blocks quickly and know how to really win the race in the first 60 meters. So I, it would be interesting to see. I just, I don't know that he'll get that far. Ben, correct me if I'm wrong. In track and field, do you generally start with a runner like 10 yards ahead of you and then you chase them down and that's how you run really fast or is that not how it works? <laughs> uh, that is not how it works. I, I mean, you can, I think, get somebody 10 yards ahead of you fairly quickly. I mean, it, probably not quite to that degree, but, uh, if you're racing Usain Bolt, you know, he'll, he'll be 10 yards ahead of you pretty quick because, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much about getting out of the blocks. Learn, I, I don't know how, I mean, <laughs> When's the last time you used blocks? I mean, that that's a lot of it. It's just the, the those first six seconds of a race are are really what win or lose it for you in a sprint, especially a sprint of that short a distance. So I'd be more curious almost to see him in the two hundred. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's 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 cute. It's interesting. I just don't uh, I don't see it. Is is Adrian Peterson of any Viking current or you know past? Is Adrian Peterson the one that could have maybe done it? 
You know, if he had if he had tried, I, I think if he had come out of college trying to do that, he would have had a shot. But there's there's more money in the NFL than there is uh, in track and field in, in this day and age. You can uh, I've I've had some interesting conversations with elite track athletes about what they make, and uh, suffice it to say, they roll their eyes a bit at the level that uh, NFL players get paid. But it's all about the market. It's what the market will bear, and people are more interested in the NFL, which is probably why they're tired of us talking about this and want us to talk about the Vikings instead. <laughs> now, this is hey, hey, hey. No, this is this is a great segue here. Now, Kellen Mond, track guy, guy, track guy, right? A lot of track guys in this draft. So, Very what was, yeah. So, so you had tweeted out, I think, after they took Kellen Mond, that Kellen Mond is your new favorite Viking draft pick because he's a track guy. Not only is he a track guy, he's not a he's not just a sprinter. He was a mid distance track guy. He was. 400, 800, and, and I end up coaching a fair amount of, I coach a lot of the 800, I coach distance runners, but, uh, coach a fair amount of the 400 as well. So yeah, not only is he a track guy, he's, uh, he's getting towards my world. So yeah, the, big the, the hardest, I, the hardest races, those are the hardest races. They are, they are very difficult because they, they take the things that are awful about sprinting and the things that are awful about distance running and they say, how about we combine those? Why not do you both? Can, you can run as fast as you can for, uh, not just 10 seconds. You can do it for like, 50 seconds in high school or like two minutes if you're in the 800. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough, those, those are both awfully tough. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be curious to learn more about that. But yeah, I was, I was excited to hear that he's uh, not only a track guy, but he's a mid distance guy. Well, we should talk about Kellen Mond and the Vikings, uh, plan at quarterback. Oh, you, wouldn't, you didn't want to talk track. <laughs> you, you talk about him as a quarterback too. That I was think. genuine. This I, is I, our, is this, the tra- is this the track says Vikings podcast? Oh, it should be. It should oh, if, if Ben had subscribe button, folks. If Ben had his <laughs> if Ben had his way, cross country would be taking over uh, the main sport as as the main sport in America. Real quickly, I have I have joked with Andrew about this for years that when the concussion apocalypse takes over and nobody's allowed to do anything but non contact sports, and we're all covering the National Cross Country League. I've told him, when I'm the Adam Schefter of the NCCL, I'll make sure you get a job somewhere. So, Thank you, buddy. I, I one of these years, it's going to happen. Just wait. Uh, well, we should talk about Kellen Mond, the Minnesota Vikings succession, succession plan, excuse me, at quarterback. Easier said than done. Um, that is currently what they're going forward with. Took him in the second ra- third round, top of the third round. We talked all about that on Saturday. Uh, but the news came out afterward that the Vikings were interested in Justin Fields. Now, at the time on Saturday night, we weren't too, um, we weren't too into the fact that we were, we didn't think that that was the case. Certainly. I remember Ben, you and I talked about this and we thought, you know, we'd heard that potentially they were trading up for Rashawn Slater. That could yes. still very well be the case at a certain point in the draft. Um, what did you hear about whether or not they were actually trying to trade up or wanted to take Justin Fields, who ended up obviously going to the Bears at number 11? Well, they, they tried. I mean, they tried to move up, and I think they would have taken him if they'd been able to do it. But I don't think it was like this, um, we have to have him at all costs kind of thing. From what I heard, and, and you've heard it too, that there were some reservations in that building about fields, both in terms of whether he was that much better than Kellen Mond. I think the, the opinion on that among their evaluators was not unanimous. Uh, the other thing I heard is that their medical analytics, they do a lot of work in terms of trying to figure out is there precedent for a player that has X or 
is this size or you know, whatever succeeding in the NFL. And you can quibble with this, but it's, you know, it's what I've heard that their medical analytics people were at least worried about Fields having epilepsy, at least enough to, and Fields has obviously played with that. He's managed it. So I don't know how much of a concern it should be, but I know that that was something that was giving them some pause about Justin Fields. So I think in the end, they liked him. I think they would have taken him. They've been able to move up, but they also were trying to move up to get ahead of the Chargers for Rashawn Slater. So is it going to be one of these things where it was like they were pounding the tables for Justin Fields and didn't get him? I don't, I don't think that's the case. And I don't think they were going to try quite that hard because you would have had to give up enough to entice the, whether it would have been the Cowboys or the Giants or whoever to, to bite. And you only had to move up four picks, but if you're a team that says, uh, if we can get, if we can move back a few more and get a first rounder for next year, then you probably do it. And frankly, if you're the Vikings and somebody says, uh, it's going to cost you a first rounder next year and you think this guy is our guy and we're still going to have Kirk and we're not going to be picking that high, then you probably still do it. So I do know they, they got in touch with Cousins Camp and said, Hey, we're going to take a quarterback. I, I don't think. Cousins camp is terribly worried about Kellen Mond, at least from what I understand at the moment. Um, but we'll see how that develops because they have not taken quarterbacks this high when they haven't intended for those guys to turn into something down the road. And the Cousins contract stuff is, it's a difficult line to walk when you're trying to pay a running back, when you try to pay defensive players, when you're, if you sign Cousins to a third deal, it's going to fall in the middle of when you need to pay Justin Jefferson. So, the the cost of keeping him does make it, I think, so that you at least want to have some alternatives that are cheaper. You know, the Justin Field stuff that it's interesting that they were interested potentially in him, even if they even if it was just an exploratory kind of thing. My my big question, I guess, is if they were interested enough to consider that and you know, you you've mentioned that some people in the building even think Kellen Mond is just as good as Justin Fields or had have a high enough opinion of Mond that they kind of put those two on an equal footing and they drafted Kellen Mond. Is that when if you're gonna draft someone like that, especially if you're considering taking someone in the first round, typically these days that's not a sit for two years kind of pick. So what is what what does that tell you about kind of the, the, I guess the shelf life of Kirk Cousins, because I, th- I think, you know, maybe there's a natural assumption that, that Cousins maybe plays out his contract based on the fact that they, you know, they draft a guy in the third round. But if they were interested enough to go beyond that, should we be thinking about, you know, this is the last year of Kirk Cousins and then they're going to try to trade him, even though he's got that big number in 2022? Well, I can say this too. If they had taken fields, the opinion in, uh, Kirk Cousins' mind would have been, okay, um, then trade me. I, I think that would have been how this would have gone if they had taken Justin Fields or taken a quarterback in the first round. Not necessarily because that quarterback's going to be a hit right away, but like you said, if you take one in the first round, it signals that you were heading in a different direction. This is, this is the crux of the Aaron Rodgers, uh, meltdown of the, his relationship with the Packers right now is, is them picking Jordan Love. It didn't necessarily matter that Jordan Love was going to be ready to play right away. It's you're thinking beyond me and drafting my replacement. If they had taken Justin Fields, I think we'd be in a much different place today in terms of 
how Cousins camp would have felt about it, whether Cousins would be here next year. Uh, it would have probably been something that played out after June 1st for cap reasons. But if they had taken that, uh, if they'd taken Justin Fields, if they'd taken a quarterback in the first round, I, I think we'd be talking more seriously about the possibility of a trade. So with Mon being here, I think for now it's more developmental probably. It's You're not as staked to him as you would be with, with a first-round quarterback. I don't think that it will be tense between the two, at least from what I understand of, of Mond. He's not going to be a guy that comes in and tries to, to show Cousins up. I, I think it'll it'll be a, a copacetic relationship. But it does sort of make you wonder um, where it goes after this year. If, if he comes in and is good in training camp, if he's good in the preseason – you know, I would say this too. I, I think it's very much in the Vikings' interest this year for there to be a preseason, and we'd be down to three games. But if there was not one, like there was not last year, it makes it difficult to evaluate him, and and you put yourself in the spot that the Packers are in with Jordan Love, where you haven't seen him on the field. Yeah, and the other context of this too is that the 2022 quarterback class is not considered good. It's, right. it's not considered to have, yeah, many options there for them. So why not try to invest now in, in a piece? And clearly they view fields, fields as a possible piece if they were in discussions to trade up for him and if they were willing to take him at number 14, um, as claimed. But it is an indictment, I think, a little bit on if they really thought they could get him there and didn't foresee somebody else jumping up. Now, Dave Gettleman never traded back until he did. I mean, that was something that it was tough to foresee. But at the same time, you still had um, picks number 12 and 13 in front of you. Um, You still had an opportunity for somebody to jump in like the Bears from number 20, like they did to go get him. Um, If they wanted him that badly, it's an indictment on their ability to foresee somebody else jumping them. Or they didn't want your division. Yeah, or they didn't want him that badly and they viewed mond and the future draft assets as worth more than fields and not having those assets i think that's exactly what happened so it's interesting because fields now is going to be tied to this storyline and if fields ends up running through the division like some people think he might as as a top quarterback at ohio state dual threat all the things you need in the modern nfl the same things the vikings like about kellen mond let's let's bring that up too but um, yeah, it'll be just something that's always tied to the Vikings and the Bears moving forward. And I think Justin you know, Fields is also not a track guy. Not a so, track guy. It's you a know, knock right there too. That that may have been the reason they didn't do it. And I've oh, I've listen. expressed this to I've expressed this too. Maybe this can be the, the final thought on the the quarterbacks. But I think just the Mon thing is interesting because, like you said, like we've talked about plenty of times, like they they don't do this. They don't draft guys unless they have the intention of them ultimately playing. But it just feels like. They, the backups to Cousins, and we've talked about this in his first three years here, have not been guys that you wanted to see play. Even, yeah. even if Cousins struggled, you weren't like, get Trevor Simeon in there, get, you know, get Sean Manning in there. Now, even if Kellen Mond isn't ready, even if, you know, whatever's happening behind the scenes is, is showing that, you know, he's, it's going to take a while, people are going to be really curious the first time Kirk Cousins struggles. Like, well, what about Kellen Mond? It's the first time that'll be the case with, with Cousins here. Yeah, I think, um, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this goes for that reason, because Cousins has had the guaranteed contract and he's also been the first Viking starting quarterback in at least, yeah, certainly the first one in, in the Mike Zimmer era. We can kind of use that as the marker to not have a veteran backup behind him. It was, it was Matt Castle, at least when, when Mike Zimmer got here playing, um, well, he ended up starting, but he just sort of as the placeholder for Teddy Bridgewater and then, 
you had, um, uh, well, Sean Hill, and then, of course, Case Keenum becomes the ultimate example of this when Sam Bradford gets hurt and Keenum takes him on a run to the NFC title game. So they have looked for veterans in the past, but in part, they probably haven't been able to afford them in recent years because they're paying their starters so much. So Cousins has never had that shadow of the guy that people are clamoring to see if he you know, plays the way he did in some of those games early last year. And, and now they'll be... The, there's the other guy now, which he hasn't had to look over his shoulder to see before. All right. Let's get to um, Mike Hughes getting his fifth-year option to clown. Let's talk about that quick, um, and then we'll open up a very, very big mailbag. And you can always send your questions to me on Twitter, at Andrew underscore Kramer, K-R-A-M-M-E-R. Um, and then you can look up these guys' Twitter handles as well. Um, Mike Hughes, Ben, not much of a surprise to see his fifth-year option declined, right? Uh, no, it's not. And, and I think that was the, the way it was going to go for, for quite a while. Uh, for injuries have been the story with him, obviously the ACL and then the neck issue that was very close to being a, a, we haven't talked about this probably to the degree that we could, but that was very close to being a big problem, a bigger problem than it was. I will say that, um, when he got hurt, they, you know, went and, and put him back on the field for a day of practice, and then it was, oh, he's he's done for the year. But let's just say that that was – there was some stuff behind the scenes that, that made that a little bit of a, a tense time. And then, of course, that neck issue affected him again this year. That was – his neck issues this year, despite what Mike Zimmer said, were connected to the injury at the end of 2019. At least that's what I've been told. And I think they were – Starting to wonder, is he going to be able to, going to be able to play? Is he going to be able to play that position in a way that you have to be able to do where you're not in the back of your head thinking, if I hit this guy in a certain way, is what's it going to do to my neck? And that's, that's human nature. I think any of us, if we had that injury playing football, it's going to be in the back of your mind that this hit could affect the rest of my life. I, I think that's just a normal thing, but. You know, in a sport like this, when you have to kind of ride that line, it, I think, plays into the way you approach it, and it's a hard thing to get over. So I, I know that's something that has been a consideration with him, too. So, yeah, it, it's not a big surprise. It's 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 too bad for him, and maybe he'll still have an, a, a year that changes things, but uh, it, it would suggest he's not very much in their plans going forward. Yeah, health undercutting another former Vikings first-round pick, this time with Hughes. Um, hasn't had much, too much of a chance because, as you said, he just hasn't stayed on the field. And and the next thing, too, yeah, it just it leads to a tough projection if you're an NFL team, you know, coldly only caring about the production on the field. Um, that's something you certainly have to worry about if he can be the same player. So he'll enter a contract year in 2021. The Vikings went ahead and uh, added Patrick Peterson this offseason. They brought back Mackenzie Alexander. They got the two um, draft picks from last year. So they've already got the pieces Probably. kind of, as as a certain former quarterback would say, the pieces are in place. To, to pieces are in place. He, the, the <laughs> former, certain former quarterback that has been all over the place this week. Oh, man. Weighing I'm, in on Aaron Rodgers. I'm I'm, uh, I, yeah, and with, uh, weighing in on other things, too. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with his opinions. He, uh, yeah, he, he, I saw some clip where he, he asked himself a question and answered it. Maybe like, <laughs> you know, the, it's the, the caricature works because it's so predictable. And then, you know, a couple of times in that thing, he said, you know, I'll, I'll think of play. So 
it's uh the the, the common Brett phrases are are common Brett phrases for a reason. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to some Twitter questions here, and and I gotta start, guys, just with the one that I um was was screaming at me from Saturday that we we couldn't get to because Mike didn't join us until today, but. Uh, Ryan wants to know how big of a scene did Mike Rand make after the Wyatt Davis pick in the third round? Has he found his pants yet after running through the crowd at TCO? What say you, Mike? Well, it's, I mean, I think it's a good pick. Um, anytime you can take a, you know, usually Ohio State linemen work out all right, although their last third rounder from Ohio State in the offensive line was Pat Offline, right? Yes. That, uh, you know, he, it, for a third rounder, maybe fine, but that didn't necessarily work out. But I, I think they did, you know, the, the thing that I've always harped on, you know, starting in, you know, a few years ago is that they just weren't investing picks in the offensive line. You absolutely can't say that anymore. They are trying to, to, you know, to use a Rick phrase, get it right, um, through the draft. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it was a ziggy phrase, wasn't it? it well, that was the, the that was the one they repeated over and over again with yeah. Adrian Peterson. Yeah. I was just yeah. trying to get it right. I counted them up. It was like 26 times they used it in that press conference. But, you know, they've, they've invested in the offensive line and, you know, whether they're the right picks is kind of, we don't know that yet. Uh, I think Brian O'Neill, you can say, yeah, that, that looks like that was a pretty good one. Garrett Bradbury, we got to see him get better and stronger. Um, Ezra Cleveland, we don't have much of a sample size on that one. Um, you know, so we're still waiting to see if they were the right picks, but they've certainly have invested in this and, you know, they, Davis could be their starting guard. I don't think that's out of the question and they could, you know, their entire, their entire starting five could be made up of draft picks from 2018 forward, which, you know, that potentially if they all, if all or most of them pan out, that sets them up pretty well for the future. Um, it's just a question of, are they going to pan out or not? You didn't answer the question. Did you find your pants? Oh, I pa- yeah, I got my pants are firmly on. It's too cold to, uh, although Saturday was warm enough, I could have, I was pants. You could have gone pantsless on Saturday. could have gone pantsless on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I, I generally try to keep my pants on. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just good, uh, good for human resources and good for everybody. Ben, what were you going to say? Uh, just to, on the, the subject of investments in the offensive line in the, not the effect they have on my pants so much, but, they have, I, I believe, invested four picks now in the last uh, four years, I suppose, in the last four drafts on offensive linemen in the first or second round. And that is the most in the NFL. So they have gone from – we used to trot this stat out every year during the draft about the, the, the linemen they had taken in the first two rounds under Rick Spielman. And it, we used it so many times I have it memorized. It was Matt Khalil in 2012 and Phil Lodehold in 2009. So – the name Phil Lothold always stuck out in my head during draft time for that reason. But now it's they've gone the other way. And I do think Wyatt Davis has a good chance to be the starter. So, yeah, you would be looking at a potentially five-person line of draft picks. So uh, it, it hasn't been for lack of effort. You know, We'll have to see if it's got to work out. But they've certainly changed the philosophy there. They certainly have. Um, do you guys have any other questions here? we got a lot of questions. We've got two separate running threads of them. Um I'm looking through. I've got old... one here from, I've got one here from Chicken Fingers. That's not really oh. a statement. We, do we know, do we want to end with that one or should we, uh, should we, should we get that one right now? Well, if he's going to, you know, if, if he's going to remember us and send us something, I suppose we should put him back in this normal spot. We might as well end with that one. Right? Okay. We'll end with that one. Don't, don't, don't let me forget. I, I got one. I got a DM from, from Danny Carlson. He likes to send his via DM. Um, uh, we, Ben kind of addressed this already. 
the the question about uh, about uh, the Justin Fields and you know not the the, the kind of the, the conflict there. So maybe we'll get to his first question, which is how much will the Vikings have after they sign their draft picks? Um, he had a second question as part of his first question. Uh, do you think wide receiver three and defensive end could be targets? How much cap space will they have? Yeah, I think cap space and then talking about maybe free agency going forward and, and what, what, what else might they do once they've kind of signed their picks and kind of post June 1st, probably too. They'll have enough money to play with. I mean, the, the, the question of how much it costs to sign draft picks comes up every year and it's not as much as you think. It's the cap space is, especially in the off season is not that big of a deal because what happens is you only have to count 51 players against your cap in the off season. So when you, you add a draft pick, he bumps one of the players on your roster off the top 51. So every one of these draft picks, especially the lower round guys, really don't add much of anything to your cap in the offseason. And they're also going to get all that money after June 1st for Kyle Rudolph. So I think they're like seven something million. I haven't looked at it in a minute, but they're like seven something million under the cap now. And then they're going to get effectively double that space once the Rudolph cut hits the cap in June. So they have enough to, at this point, I kind of do what they want. I, I don't know that you're going to find a lot of pieces that are going to cost you more than that at this point, unless you <laughs> traded for Aaron Rodgers or something, but then you're trading cousins anyway. So that's just a hypothetical. We're not reporting that. Don't, don't come at us aggregators, but I think they have enough to, uh, to do most of what they need to do. Podcast headline, come at us, aggregators. <laughs> so don't come at us, aggregators. Aggregators, rise up. up. Rise up. Um, and then what did he ask about the wide receiver depth, just in terms of targets? Yeah, he was thinking, you know, is wide receiver and defensive end something they might be looking for? You know, a, like a third wide out and maybe a defensive end is that potential, like, second wave of free agency targets? Yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised just because, you know, they could use some kind of – if there's a veteran out there who finally, you know – comes around to taking more of a minimum contract, I could see it this summer. Um, because they added just about D.D. Westbrook or Ryan Kerrigan, you know, so kind of along those lines. D- I mean, D.D. Westbrook I could see just because he's got the history with Keenan McCardle. So. Yeah, and I'd read, though, that I think, yeah, yeah, the, the McCardell connection could help them. And I think I'd read somebody like Kerrigan was holding out for a lot of money. Um, I, I don't know. Harder to see. It's going to have to be, yeah, bargain bin kind of stuff. Just, just somebody that will come in for, for cheap because – um, they're still kind of towing that line. Um, and then in general, they only brought in three undrafted receivers for depth along with the fifth round pick out of Iowa, um, who they're excited to look at a returner. I mean, they got some options. It's just a lot of the guys they're adding are, are kind of focused on special teams in terms of wide receiver. It makes you think that they're not really prioritizing that spot in the offense a whole ton. And that's not to say that Smith Marset can't become that guy. It's just. Clearly, when they're hyping these guys up, it's, you know, they got to start on special teams and see if they can work their way up. And I still think we're going to see a healthy dose of Chad Beebe in this offense. I, I'm just, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it. They got a lot of fourth wideouts, kind of like the Twins in the past years had a lot of number four starters. They, they, they need one guy, one level up, I think would be nice. Um, Scott's got more of a statement here, but he says, I appreciate the admission they needed big guys on the offensive line by Mike Zimmer. It feels like he dragged to it after years of big game failures and underplaying that, whereas many fans and media had made the same observation years earlier. He says this wasn't really a revelation. Um, ben, you wrote the story for us about this. What do you think just in terms of, was this, was this 
too little too late or are they finally just better late than never? Like, how do you kind of view that? Well, it's, it's interesting because we've seen them go back and forth on this. I mean, it, when it was early on, I remember when and I wrote this and kind of recollected it, but I'll, I'll do so for the, the audio audience that uh, may not read as much, but when they signed Alex Boone, Zimmer said something at the owners meetings that year about every other position group on our team had a tough minded personality. And this is right after they'd gone to the playoffs and won the division and lost the game to the Seahawks. But he said every other position group on our team had a tough minded personality. I don't know that our offensive line did. So there was that year. And then I think that was the same year they drafted Willie Beavers when Tony Sperano came in and it was all of this. We want these big tough guys that have the ability to dent people, I think was the quote. Um, and then they go, cause that was back in the North Turner era where you wanted more of a power running game. And then you switch to the West coast stuff. And then the zone blocking thing becomes something you kind of double down on, especially when they wanted to run the ball more after the DiFilippo era ended. And it was okay. Now we want to emphasize this outside zone scheme. And then we got to get guys who can run. So They've kind of gone back and forth as their offensive philosophy has gone back and forth. And I think now maybe they realize they overcorrected a little bit because you had these, you know, these sort of former tight end types like O'Neill and, and Bradbury was, that was the question about him was his size. Ezra Cleveland was, was he big enough to play tackle? So yeah, I think it makes it a harder evaluation. And I asked Jamal Stevenson about that, the college scouting director last weekend. And he said, yeah, it makes it harder because the guys who are big enough to pass protect and stand up to bigger guys, especially at guard, or have the arm length to stand up to edge rushers like Christian Derrissaw does, but they also can run, that's a tough thing to find. So it makes it more difficult, but I think that's why they were so attracted to both of these guys because they, they look like they can do both of those things. I also think it's reflective of they don't want to sit around and wait for a guy to develop anymore. Like they, they can't bring in these guys and say, okay, by year three, he might be able to hold up to NFL strength or year two. It's no, we need somebody to come in and move Khalil Mack right now. Yeah. We, we need, we need something to happen right now. And I think that just meshes with more of their plan. And I understand they do have a lot of long-term projects in terms of that draft class from Chaz Surratt to Kellen Mond. But the offensive line picks were the opposite. It was, no, we need a guy that's just going to come in and be able to hold his own right now. And if, you know what, if Dalvin, if he's not out in front enough from Dalvin Cook, Dalvin will make him right because he's done that enough yeah. for, for this offense. So, And they um, all but named Darisaw the starter at left tackle last weekend. So that kind of tells you right there what they're thinking. And you don't spend a third round pick if you're thinking, if you're bringing back Dakota Dozier thinking he's just going to fill the same spot. Yep. I mean, yep. we've talked about it at length that Dakota's probably best fit for that bench role and he'll be the guy first off the bench in that interior spot. And then we probably haven't talked enough about, you know, the future of Garrett Bradbury and are they going to be turning around and spending another pick at center down the road if this guy's not it? So, um, it, it'll be interesting to see, um, uh, what, what happens going forward. Brian has a good one here. He says the drafting of Irv Smith in the second round cleared the path to eventually moving on from Kyle. What draft pick this year signals an expiration date for a current starter? Mond for Cousins, Surratt for Barr, or Bynum for Harrison Smith? Wow. Yeah. I would, I mean, instinct wise, it just goes off Mond, right? Like that's, that's the big pick. You don't spend that at that position if you're not thinking that he's got a chance to develop in your long term starter. Um, but you could say that Surratt with Barr is the same thing. Ben, you and I talked about it on the last podcast, but when I think it was Joel, your buddy Joel had the question about just that, that investment at linebacker. It was their highest pick at the position since Eric Kendricks in 2015. 
maybe in a different year, Surratt doesn't go as highly because this was a smaller draft class. Guys like that are going to rise up the rankings a little bit, but it's still pretty significant to take him. I think it was 78th overall yeah. in the third round. And when Anthony Barr is entering a contract year, the Vikings accepted the possibility of him walking away. Maybe this time he's not going to come back to a lesser deal in free agency like he did a couple years ago. So the most intriguing one to me is obviously a quarterback, but we can't overlook that picket linebacker either. Yeah, and if you're, and if you're talking about long-term investments, I think offensive line, obviously you're going to have some replacements there with the picks they made. Those are pretty obvious ones. But yeah, in terms of long-term investments, I'd say the linebacker and, and Mond are probably the two most likely. Although you could see a path where Kirk Cousins is still here long-term, couldn't you? Yeah, I, th- I think – I don't know that Kalen Mond is the type of pick that will require them to attach themselves to him in the way that it would have been if it was a first-round pick. I think it's just a different thing politically to some degree. So in, a, in some ways you can argue it's not a bad path for them to take because if it doesn't work out, they didn't spend that much to get him. So, I yeah, I think there's still a scenario where if Cousins is great, the next couple of years, then you, you roll with him because he's only going to be 34th in that contract, which is not old for a starting quarterback in this day and age. So I think you could bring him back, but this does give you the ability to go in a different direction. It also gives you a backup quarterback, which they did not have. So, I mean, that, that I think was the, the primary reason for this pick, at least in the short term, is they needed somebody that if Cousins ever gets hurt, which he hasn't, but if he does, Somebody they think can come in and, and do something, which they didn't really have. And it is, we should point out too, like history wise, it's kind of stacked against Kellen Mond. Like third round quarterbacks don't step in and just become franchise changers. Um, most of these guys you just don't hear from. Like the guys that are drafted in the third or fourth rounds, um, it's Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott. These are the exceptions to the rule. So, yep. um, you're okay. right. Ben, it was really interesting for you to say earlier in the podcast that Kirk Cousins and his camp view this a lot differently with Kellen Mond than they would with Justin Fields, not only because of the talent, but because of the draft investment. And let's just look at the history of it. I know there's been studies done and and, and articles put together about how day two and day three quarterbacks just don't pan out that much. Um, You look back um, over the last Russell Wilson too. True. Yeah. So he's also an exception to the rule, but most of them end up being, um, most of them end up not really panning out. I guess when you go back and look at the Colt McCoys of the world, uh, yeah. Trent Edwards was a, a third round pick by the Bills. You got Matt Flynn with the Packers. You got just Sean, a lot of Sean Mannion was the third round pick. That's right. Sean Mannion as well. Um, so it, these things just kind of, or Nick Foles too. I guess he kind of had an up and down career, but had a pretty significant up. That's true. <laughs> when you end up with that kind of a team. Um, he kind of had that Case Keenum effect where it's like if he just, if Case would have finished it out, it would have been a very similar story. Um, Mike Glennon was a third round pick. Um, Ryan Mallett was a third round pick. Boy. Uh, yeah, Jacoby Brissett was a third round pick. Um, so it, anyway, it's just, it, these things are, the chips are stacked against him a little bit where of course it's not the same kind of investment. So, um, maybe we could argue Surratt is just as much of a kind of long term, uh, piece potentially as a guy like Kellen Mond is. One other piece to this with the, the discussion of whether quarterbacks pan out. Yes, you have been historically more likely to make it if you are a first round pick. You also get more chances. And I think that needs to be factored into it as well. It, it's not a pure 
meritocracy in terms of that position, I don't think. I in you look no further back than Christian Ponder, where he got opportunities that he probably would not have had if he wasn't were picked where he was and you didn't have decision makers tying their reputations to that pick. It's just first round quarterbacks are a different thing in the NFL and they always play. So if it's a first round guy, yes, they have been more successful because they're probably just they're better quarterbacks, but there's also, I think, a factor here of teams that give those guys chances, and you don't have to do it with third-round picks the same way because nobody's sitting there saying, and there's not an owner sitting there saying, when's our first-round quarterback in play? All right, Mike, you got a question? Yeah, McD, uh, who has a humongous uh, fish in his avatar, by the way, says uh, there were no true cornerbacks taken in the draft by the Vikings. Highly unusual for this staff, and he, you know, kind of wants us to assess that in the big picture and, and what that might mean. I thought it was interesting. I mean, that for a team that uh, always says, you know, just one more, they really didn't, uh, they didn't take any, uh, unless you, you know, the safety they took has got some flexibility maybe, but really no true corners taken, which is a surprise. Well, and I think too, before a lot of this must come from the fact that they view still Dantzler and potentially Gladney as those long-term pieces. Now Gladney's got some things with his future that need to be sorted out before we know how available he's going to be certainly in 2021, but the Vikings are still rostering him at this point. And so if he ends up being a piece for them, having Mackenzie Alexander back for a year, having Patrick Peterson back for a year, Mike Hughes is still on the roster. You're thinking for 2021, the five, and then Chris Boyd too is going to contribute as well. You have five or six guys that could potentially help you and and at least be a contributor. Sleep on um, Harrison Hand, huh? Oh, Harrison Hand too. Yes, that's right. So there are, there are options. I just think the, the, the picture was kind of crowded this year and they already had enough young guys. And I know we talked about this before, but um, it's a little similar to the O-line thing where like they needed people to step in and help now, not necessarily be another kind of project because they had enough of those in the secondary. Um, ben, Ben, what did you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a position that they, you know, they, they're never, opposed to addressing it because yes, the, the philosophy with Mike Zimmer is just one more and there's reasons for that. Obviously, as we saw last year, there's, it's never a, a terrible idea to invest in that position because you need it and because it's important, but they had so many needs this year and they didn't have the same number of high picks and they ended up with a lot more in the end, but they went in that draft last year with like five picks in the first 90, I think it was. So, including two first rounders. So, and it, it, when you made those investments last year and you had needs at, uh, pass rusher, you had needs on the offensive line, you had question about what's the future of linebacker if Anthony Parr's not here. I think, and the special team stuff was, was obviously a pretty big concern for them too. So I think it's one of those things where you can't feed everybody with all the draft picks all the time and, they obviously decided to go a different direction. I, I I do think Bynum coming in is going to be interesting because I, I think they probably hope he turns into their next Anthony Harris. I don't know if that means a replacement for Harrison Smith. I, I still think a Harrison Smith extension could happen. Um, but uh, they, they still have a need there even if Harrison Smith is on the roster. Got a question here from Alexander wants to know, what are the weakest and strongest parts of the Vikings roster post-draft? Good question. Yeah, it's an interesting it question. I don't, I don't even know what they're, where, what are they best at right now? It's, 
what are they worst at? I mean, they're kind of just they're kind of in the middle. I mean, I would say that the, the, I, I think the strongest and deepest part right now is running back. Yeah, I think off, offensive skill position, maybe just in general, sure. when you're talking about Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, even throw Irv Smith into that conversation, and you know Kirk Cousins, if you want, that's still an above average quarterback. That's probably their biggest thing they got going for them right now. Yeah, and I think when you've got, even if you lose Mike Boone, who was a preseason star, you know, you could tell it was just a little limited on what his upside was going to be offensively. But you bring in a fourth round running back to basically replace him on special teams and you keep that core together with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. If I had to pick just one position, I think it'd be that. But you guys are right. The, the, the two tight end offense that can trot out there with Jefferson, Thielen, Smith, Conklin, Dalvin Cook, and Kirk Cousins. I mean, I think most teams would take that depending on who your quarterback is on a given roster. Um, yeah, it's one of these things where they have, in a lot of positions, it's top-end talent. Wide receiver is emblematic of this as much as anything else. They have a, a combo that you could say is one of the best in the NFL, but then who's behind that? And that's life in a era where you have an expensive quarterback, an expensive running back, an expensive receiver, expensive players on defense, so you don't have a ton of depth. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of positions where even even the defensive line, you'd say Daniel Hunter, if he's here, um, and if he's healthy, next to Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson is a pretty good start. But then beyond that, kind of where, where does it go? I think their biggest weakness, to be honest, is still offensive line. I don't think they're necessarily better right now than they were at the end of last season. They've just got different players. that They're just so young there now with a projected starting five that, you know, again, it's an unknown more than it is a, a true deficiency. But I, if I had to say what's the weakest link on this team right now, I think it's still offensive line until proven otherwise. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Um I'm looking at, yeah, their defensive line right now. If, if you've got Hunter, Pierce, and Tomlinson all performing at the peak of their abilities, it's it's a pretty good D-line, even if yeah. we've had a lot of questions about their depth. And find one um, pass rusher, probably, but you can probably piece that together. If Wanham's better, Weatherly helps. And really through free agency, I mean, I know the corner position has really kind of been made over. If Peterson, Alexander are there, yeah. if you have Gladney available and he's he's playing, um with Dantzler, Hughes, Boyd, Hand. I mean, that's that position was kind of remade this offseason too, so I don't think they're hurting there. But yeah, the biggest questions are about the Lions, right? It's it's and really is that third round linebacker going to come in and fix your linebacker depth issues? Because when Barr and Kendricks aren't out there, it's it's really obvious um, how big of that talent drop off was last year. What do you think the odds are that in their postseason meetings, as they were assessing the corners? Zimmer said some version of the phrase, just don't make me have to put Chris Jones on the field again, plus or minus a few unprintable adjectives. <laughs> Chris Jones did the famous Olay. Um, who did he dodge? He dodged some Lions running back or something yeah. in a yep. big play. Yep. yep. And that was one where you went. You already, like, maybe? Yeah. And that was the one where you went, yeah, he ain't fit for Minnesota. No. He ain't fit for no. Mike Zimmer for very long. No. Um, so all right. Born in major league. <laughs> uh, Mike, you got a question? Yeah, are we ready for chicken fingers yet, or should we uh, should we get a couple more in? I've got one before him if you want. Um, let's see here. Um, well, Patrick's got a, a a new one in here asking, what do you guys say about the uh, Shane Zilstra signing yesterday? Um, not too often we get asked a question about an undrafted wide receiver coming in here or tight end in this case. One of us. But, one that, of us. but that's just it. He's he's a former Mankato undrafted receiver who broke one of Adam Thielen's records at Minnesota State Mankato. So naturally, people are going to be interested. They've had some um, success with former undrafted Mankato receivers. 
They do. They do. They're going to move him to tight end, have him compete there because he's six. He's a bigger kid. He's six five, and I don't know what his weight is right now, but um, he's got a chance to at least help and contribute. He's competing with Zach Davidson. They're one of their late round draft picks to potentially make like a practice squad or something. But um, I we got to we got to obviously wait and see the kid on the field before we say he's the next Adam Field. It's exciting though. He's one of us. We love we love our locals. We love <laughs> our locals. Spicer, Minnesota's own. Okay, let's let's uh, let's end with chicken fingers because I like this one. This we can probably spend some time on this. He says, with the Vikings drafting a first round offensive lineman, a reach project quarterback, a rookie place kicker. That wasn't a draft. That was a you know undrafted. But and no true cornerbacks. Can we please officially retire the ridiculous theory that Zimmer always gets his way or somehow bulldozes over Rick during the draft? It's hard to argue oh. with that, right? No, <laughs> oh, really? No, ben, but, you say no. <laughs> this was, this was, this, I don't think this is how Mike Zimmer would have drafted if he was in charge of the draft room. We'll just say no. That. No, it, it is not. That's although, why I say that. Because, although, Mike, although Mike Zimmer ran free agency. So to be fair, Rick yes. got to run one thing at least. Well, it's funny because they, they released that clip again last week of the, the first round of the draft last year when Rick goes after they drafted Jefferson, you know, Zim says something about, we, we got another one of these picks here coming up. And, and Rick says, ah, we're fine. I got the receiver. I don't need any defensive players. And, and Zimmer just kind of deadpans. Yeah, I'm, I'm used to it. Which is like, <laughs> dude, you've had so many picks on the defensive side of the ball in the first round over the years that you don't have a ton to complain about there. But I, I say it for that reason. And from what I heard last week, especially when they made that trade back, and Zimmer kind of alluded to it, that he told Rick stop answering the phones. But it got a little tense in that draft room when all those players are sliding off the board. And I think especially when Quiddy Pay and Jalen Phillips went, I, I think the reaction in the draft room uh, was, at least wherever, I'm not sure who was all in there and what was on Zoom or what. But, um, yeah, I, I think that created for – it created some tense moments in that room with those two players, especially from what I understand. Yeah, let's not undersell either the fact that um, the type of offensive lineman they went out and got was predicated based on what Mike Zimmer said he wanted. Yeah. Um, Jamal Stevenson, the director of college scouting, we talked about this before too, but uh, he didn't come out there and say Rick told us to do this. He said Mike Zimmer gave us a mandate of we need to get bigger on the offensive line. So the whole scouting department – so while he's yeah, while Mike is not sitting there turning in the card and writing the name on the card of who they're going to pick, what he wants carries so much weight in this organization, offensively and defensively, and you can just see it. And in the, in the offensive lineman, you can see it. I mean, they picked Wyatt Davis, a pick before Kendrick Green out of I think it was Illinois, who's a guy that perfectly fits what they looked for previously yeah, in offensive did. lineman. Did it to dunk on my mock draft. <laughs> Super athletic, the exact kind of kid that they would have liked to previously. You would think, unless there are other things that they obviously know more about this kid than I do. But, you know, on the outside, looked like the perfect fit. But, nope, they took the kid who was more of a – maybe more of a uh, uh, solid prospect and somebody who could just come in and help right now because Mike Zimmer wanted to get bigger on the O-line. Well, and they would probably say this is a good thing. I mean, we, we're joking about it, but they would say it's good to have a healthy dialogue between your coaching staff and your scouting department and have a scouting department that goes and gets what your coaching staff needs to win, I, I think would be how they'd answer it. But yeah, it's, we can, uh, we can saw some fun with it. Now, by the way, is now that they've got an undrafted kicker and, you know, they still have Greg Joseph, is that, is that, do we think that's it for the competition or is there like a veteran that's going to get into this mix at some point? 
I think that's it right now. I think if they get both these kids in there and they're missing them left and right, then the plan can certainly change pretty quick. We've seen Kari, hey, Kari usually Bedvik. It's, usually it's just left, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kari Bedvik is still, he's still out there somewhere, I think. You know, that's the point. What's Cobra Kai up to? That, that's the projection though, is the Vedvik move, right? Like the fact that they made that in mid-August shows you that it doesn't matter how they feel now about the kids. If they get into August and Mike Zimmer or Steelman, somebody's scared off, they're going to make a move. If they're going and, for and, two in preseason games, look out. No, oh, boy. What's interesting to me about this kicker situation is before when they invested a draft pick in Daniel Carlson, they had the draft capital in the they had the um, need to stay by that. They had the investment, I should say, to stay by that and, and kind of be patient and wait it out, and they didn't. What's going to happen now when they don't have the investment and whomever they choose, yeah. what's going to happen if it goes south in a game? Are you going to have the patience, or is it going to be, ah, he was an undrafted guy, or, ah, it's Greg Joseph, we can move on from him? And are you going to be just as patient and knee-jerk as you've been before? The only other thing I think that – it would be worth considering there is how many of their issues last year did they determine were a result of changes in the operation as, as teams like to call it between the long snapper, the punter, the kicker you had, you put in a new, a new long snapper in the middle of the season. They have an un, undrafted free agent long snapper among their guys. They they had a, a kicker, a long snapper. And then is there a punter in there as well? Yeah. They have so, two of, they have two of each now. So they don't have an operation. Set. No, they, just, they have competition. They have and maybe not an offseason where they're on the field. <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't know. I, I still think it's going to be it's going to be a test of the patience at kicker, especially when you just don't have the investment there. But yeah, Greg Joseph and Riley Patterson, Mike, those are the options right now. Cool. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>